Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this morning? I'm I'm pretty good, pretty good. Nothing nothing witty. It's it was one of those uh, one of those weeks. It, it was a long week. Uh, the defending freedom. But, That's uh, it's it is a it is a thankless and exhausting task. Sometime I am sure. Well. We have an awful lot to get to this week. You know, Jay, I was I was just saying before we got before we hit record that there was a time when August in politics used to be called the silly season because there was so little of import going on that just weird things would come up. And and, and I got to say, it still feels like the silly season and that weird things are coming up, but they're incredibly important, uh, weird things that are coming up. Uh, and so. We're going to be covering all of those things, well, as many of them as we can. Uh, so, for instance, the appointment of a special counsel in the Hunter Biden case, Ohio's issue one and what that means about uh, abortion rights and the 2024 elections, further developments in the Trump indictments, uh, President Biden requesting more money for, your, for Ukraine and whether that's going to go through, and a bunch of other things. We'll see as much as we can get to as we can. And so, but before we do get to that, I wanted to start with a brief update. Uh, recently, one of our listeners raised a question about a story that May and I discussed. It was in early July, and this is about why a number of Republican-led states have been pulling out of ERIC, which is that multi-state compact that checks for duplicate and accurate voter registration as well as helps to register voters. And the question was about May's claim that Eric was, in her words, founded by George Soros money and that Soros is well known for his support for liberal causes. And that's not exactly untrue, but I think it may give people the wrong impression. Here's what I mean. The Soros connection is that the Pew Charitable Trust is an organization that helped to develop Eric and Soros's, uh, the Soros funded Open Society Foundation has donated to Pew. And so there's kind of an indirect thing there, but saying it's Soros funded or founded, that's not really correct. But but pulling back from that, kind of more central to May's argument, I think, was that uh, a guy named David Becker, who's a Democratic activist, was a founder and a board member of Eric, and he's tried to move the direction to the left. And and that that is definitely correct. And so I think you can pull that part of May's argument aside and say, well, yeah, that's not that's not maybe correct or it's misleading, while still saying that her general argument about why states on the right are pulling out of Eric is still makes sense. I, I don't agree with it, certainly, but I don't think it necessarily invalidates the rest of her argument. But it was a fair point that a listener uh, made, and I just wanted to bring that up. So there you go. All right. 
So on Friday, just yesterday, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland appointed U.S. Attorney David Weiss special counsel in the investigation of Hunter Biden. And on the same day, federal prosecutors announced that they haven't been able to work out a plea deal with Biden after that deal fell apart last month when the judge it came before questioned her authority to actually enforce the agreement. And so this means that there are three unresolved charges against Biden, two misdemeanor tax charges and the felony firearms offense. Now, Weiss, who's nominate, who was nominated to be U.S. attorney in 2018 for, in, in Delaware by Donald Trump, he's been in charge of the Biden investigation since it started in 2019. Now, Weiss apparently requested that he be given special counsel status, and Garland said that given the extraordinary circumstances of the case, he concluded that doing so was at this point in the public interest. Now, you might remember that this comes after congressional testimony back in May in which two criminal investigators working on the Biden case said that Weiss had been blocked from bringing charges against Biden by higher ups and that he'd asked for special counsel status for greater independence, but he had been that had been rejected. Now, these are both charges that Weiss has denied. Uh, and in the announcement of appointing Weiss a special counsel, Garland said, this appointment confirms my commitment to provide Mr. Weiss all the resources he requests. It also reaffirms that Mr. Weiss has the authority he needs to conduct a thorough investigation and to continue to take the steps he deems appropriate independently based on, only on the facts and the law. So, Jay, what do you think about this latest development in the Hunter Biden case? So I've got I've got a couple thoughts. And, and again, it's doing sort of hot takes, right? Because this just happened yesterday. Um, and we haven't seen, I think, the, the full reporting. And it's always, you know, curious when these things hit on a Friday. Um, look, my, my sense is it, it seems warranted. It seems appropriate. Um, it, it seems to be the right move politically for everybody involved. Um, so I, I, I think that's, that's the right thing to do. Also, I think it's, it's a matter of uh, they were down to what choice did they have, right? Uh, with the plea deal fell apart, um, and there was not going to be any um, any plea deal on that, absent this, you know, with the government saying, um, you know, we're, we can't commit to the full immunity. Which I think my my read of the plea deal had been before that there was sort of a a not and a wink uh, type thing of 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 look, uh, yeah, the investigation's ongoing, but but not really. Um, this, this sort of puts them in the position of, okay, if, if there isn't an ongoing investigation, then they need to have an ongoing investigation. Um, so I think that's, that's fine. The, the double-edged sword part of it is if you're a Republican is now there's an ongoing investigation, um, which, which frees up uh, a lot of these, these witnesses that, uh, uh, the, uh, the weaponization committee and, and other congressional committees might call, uh, to say, look, I can't comment because there's an ongoing investigation. Um, so I, I think, you know, you, Republicans could look at this as a, a double-edged sword. I, I think it, it's generally a, a good thing, um, you know, that, that uh, uh, Merrick Garland's being sort of held to his word now. And uh, if there was a question of whether he was blocking the authority um, of Weiss before, um, he's now sort of made those questions moot. Uh, so that's why, I mean, it, it, I think it works politically for everybody involved. Um, now, it's it's still... A bad fact for uh, for President Biden, who I think would have liked to have said, "Hey, there was a plea deal. It's all done. It's all wrapped up. Case closed." Um, 
but but now we'll be unable to do so. Yeah, I, I, I think that in in reality, this or on the ground, this doesn't really change anything. I mean, if you take Garland and Weiss at their word, saying that because Garland has for a long time now been saying that Weiss is in effect operating independently, he's not getting that day to day supervision, and so he was. For all intents and purposes, again, if you believe what Garland and Weiss were saying, operating as sort of an independent council without the formal authority. And so you might as well give him the formal authority. But yeah, this, you know, what this means, I guess, is under the special, oh, sorry, not independent council, special council, that's an older term. Under the special counsel statute, it means that the attorney general can only veto any of Weiss's actions, anything he wants to do, bring charges, if he concludes that the action is so inappropriate or unwarranted under departmental practices, it, it, it shouldn't be pursued. That's a pretty high bar to, to get across. And also, he can only fire a special counsel for cause. So malfeasance, incompetence, that sort of thing. And yeah, honestly, I, I don't think this is – I think you're right. In terms of the optics, they felt that, well, what else can we do? I don't think it really matters because unless uh, unless Hunter Biden is found guilty of you know, 38 counts or whatever and sentenced to be, I don't know, a life in prison, I don't think that the, the Republican charges of politicized justice system going after Trump and not after Biden, I, I don't think that's going to change anything really is my sense. Oh, I know. I, th I think those those claims, well, still would still exist um, on the, the politicalization of, of the justice system. Um, what's what's bigger, of course, what's more important for the Republicans is 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 not and has never been whether Hunter Biden is prosecuted over drug charges or, or getting a gun while under disability. Um, it's the what was the big guy up to and, and you know, the 10 percent. So, I mean, that's that to me, that's the the much bigger, bigger question. Now, I think what. What you'll see is um, as the, the House committee continues to try and investigate the Bi you know, President Biden and the, the broader Biden family, uh, you will now get the response of, well, this probe is all being handled by the special special counsel, where I'm not sure that it is. Right? No, I don't think so. No, I the think special, it's a, yeah. the special counsel uh, authority is, is limited to Hunter. Um, uh, and uh, in, in some cases, um, you know, more majority of the, the big uh, uh, cases that might have been made against Hunter, uh, tax evasion, for example, um, you know, have the, the statute of limitations is run. Um, so we'll we'll see. I mean, it, it could be. Um, and, and, you know, here's the other thing that's that's, of course, strange that. Um, look, as you say, if he's been uh, he's been acting as essentially a special counsel for, uh, you know, what, four years now. Um, Five years, uh, probably not that long, right? Since 2019, yeah. So it's been a while. Well, yeah, well, it's been four five, years yeah. plus. Yeah, four years. Um, you know, it, it it seems unlikely that there's going to be new information that comes up. Although there there was certainly, you know, these witnesses have pointed out that hey, there were in, there were witnesses they wanted to interview, but but uh, they claimed they were were blocked from doing so. Um, etc. So I don't know whether that changes that, whether we go back and talk to those witnesses now, or at this point, those witnesses' testimony uh, uh, may may have become moot with the, the passage of time. But uh, but we'll see. Well, you know, last week uh, when when me and I were talking about the other special counsel, Jack Smith, we were saying May made the point that you know special counsels. Uh, we I guess we both made it. Special counsels they tend to be fairly 
aggressive, kind of hard charging people, right? And so you would think, especially given the fact that that uh, uh, that Weiss is no like partisan Democratic hack, right? He was appointed uh, uh, U.S. Attorney by Donald Trump. That that if there is something there that is within his that that is within his authority to, to to prosecute, he would he would want to do that, right? Just like Jack Smith would want to do that, and so that's why, to me, this whole sort of well, you know, uh, at first it was the, the the talking point, if you will, was well, Weiss is being stopped from doing these things, and now I wonder if it shifts to well, Weiss doesn't want to do these things, and and you know, I I think it becomes really problematic when you start to question every single special counsel, you know, just it basically saying, well, the refs are obviously fixed in this sort of thing. And that's why we're not getting the result we want. Well, maybe in the Hunter Biden case, there's just not a whole lot there, at least on the specific Hunter Biden charges. Now, I agree with you. It's a different story with the sort of stuff that the Biden family group is working on in the House, right? Now, that's obviously a partisan committee, but I've said all along that it seems to me- mean they're wrong. No, it seems to me clear- that Hunter Biden is a sleazy guy who traded on his dad's name. The larger question is, was his dad in any way involved in that? Or was he just saying, oh, you know, the big guy will get 10% and the big guy had no idea about that sort of thing. And that's a legitimate question. I would think anyone would want that question answered as definitively as we can. I, I don't think that's going to be. Know, the, I don't know if anyone would want an answer. As well, and, any intellectually <laughs> honest person who cares about the truth would want that. How You and I both would want that. Okay, so there we go. All right. Well, so I, I would bring up, though, there's there's another danger, of course, um, in in this. And that is, as you you pointed out, may pointed out, I mean, uh, special counsels are tend to be that's why you hire them. Right. They're they're aggressive, hard charging. Go get them. Um, right. People. And also it's there's a certain even even though the special counsel statute is, is different than the independent counsel statute. Uh, there's a certain. um uh, fun in in that uh, you kind of get to be your own boss. Uh, you get to have your own budget, and you get to sort of have the job for as long as you like, um, right? Uh, more or less. Um, uh, so, assuming uh, he moves forward and says, "Aha, uh, there are a, a number of of uh, new things that we've we've uncovered and other charges uh, that we're going to bring." Um, or even just other other areas we're going to investigate, that raises a, a, a troubling question for Merrick Garland and, and uh, Justice Department: is well, why didn't you do this before? Right. If if that if that actually is is the case, and he finds more things, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But that that remains to be seen. I I just don't. I still. What I'm saying is, if, if he if he finds more things to investigate, or takes investigative steps that he didn't take before. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one one could infer from that that he was unable to take those steps before. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And and certainly if that's the case, that will raise that will raise additional questions. And if that does happen, we'll definitely be talking about it. Okay, well, let's move on to something very different. On Tuesday, not quite a week ago, Ohio voters uh, 
pretty resoundingly, I would that's say. That's you and me, Mike. Yeah, that's right. We are Ohio voters. Uh, most most of the hosts are, in fact, on the show. Uh, but anyway, we, not you, but, you know, uh, we in general, rejected a proposal that would have raised the bar for state constitutional amendments from a majority to 60 percent, as well as applying uh, sort of more stringent signature requirements to get proposed amendments on the ballot in the first place. Now, uh, in his comments on the result, which was rejected by 57 percent of voters, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine said, look, when something passes with that kind of margin, when you win with that kind of majority, don't fault the campaign, don't fault your strategy. It just wasn't going to happen. Now, last, last week, May and I discussed this, kind of, but, the, but we focused mainly on whether or not state constitutions are too easy to amend, and I brought up whether the U.S. Constitution is too difficult to amend. But this week, we're going to focus on actual, the actual policy issue involved. And when I say the policy issue, I don't mean requirements to alter the state constitution. That was, of course, ostensibly what it was about. But as I mentioned last week, this only came about in the first place because of the upcoming November vote on uh, enshrining abortion rights in the Ohio Constitution. And had last week's uh, measure uh, amendment passed, it would have meant that 60 percent of voters would have had to approve the abortion amendment, whereas now it's only going to require a majority, which is how it's been in Ohio for like the last century. And what we know is that Okay, a lot can happen between now and whatever, the first Tuesday in November. Polling, I think, suggests it's very likely that the abortion amendment will pass in Ohio, just like similar abortion amendments or laws have passed in a bunch of other conservative states, which in the wake of Dobbs, voters have uh, had the opportunity to have some sort of a direct say. And uh, I noted that following the Ohio result, the Wall Street Journal's editorial board said, you know, Republicans have not been able to successfully engage voters on this issue. And in their words, this political liability will persist until the GOP finds an abortion message that most voters can accept. So, Jay, I wanted to get your thoughts both on the Ohio vote specifically and kind of the broader implications for abortion rights and, and the Republican Party going forward. So a, a couple different things. And here I'm, I'm going to get into into the weeds and, and you can probably comment on this as a as a political scientist um uh as again you can actually bring the actual science to it whereas i will just you know bring my gut sense and emotion and yeah i'd be i'd be the, the captain kirk to your mr spock as it were um but i think uh part of the problem with issue one in ohio was just structural right uh there were there were a whole lot of reasons why this was never going to win and i would have you know, the 60-40 outcome is more or less what I would have would have predicted. Um, and those structural problems include but are not limited to. Uh, one, you've got the uh, you're you're trying to win the yes side on on any uh, amendment on a constitutional amendment. Um, I'm sure you probably have numbers on this, Mike. My my gut sense number is that anytime you're trying to win the yes side, you can kind of spot the other team 10 points. Maybe not 10, um, but but your general argument, yeah, that the no has sort of a built-in advantage out the gate, I think is is correct. Yeah. And there's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's one. Uh, second, secondly, um, you're, you're doing this in a special election, which is weird. Um, and, and which 
quite honestly, a lot of Republicans um, had, had made uh, points about earlier saying we ought not to have these uh, August special elections, because what usually happens, it's usually some sort of tax levy that gets put on. Um, and the supporters show up and no one else even, you know, was paying, who wasn't paying attention knew that there was an election. Um, so it, it's there is there is an irony and in, in some could say hypocrisy um, uh, among Ohio Republicans who had in the past said, hey, we don't like August elections, um, uh, but we like this one. Like the secretary um, of state who, I mean, yeah, he, yeah. he's the first time thinking of particularly who said. I think back in 2020 that we shouldn't do these things. They cost money and they're, they're sneaky basically, but well, yeah, if it costs yeah. money, it's sneaky for our cause. <laughs> it's a different story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and, and the other, the other uh, uh, point being um, uh, so, but, but, you know, you're sort of left with no choice. And, and this is, this I think is one of these deals where um, uh, not even the wisest of us uh, can see all ends. Right. Um uh, you could say if you were really smart, you would have figured this out that, OK, the court's going to overturn Dobbs and that'll happen and then this will happen and this will happen. Um, and then we'll put this in place. But but uh, we didn't you know, no yeah, one no. no one was was thinking five moves ahead. No, not like that. Almost no one. Uh, you know, I might count myself. Uh, but um, so so what we're left, you know, what Republicans were left with was was like, you know, we'll surprise uh, the pro-abortion folks want to get a. Uh, a a piece on the ballot. What do we do about it? Um, so the next, the next piece of this, which I think is this is where the strategy gets interesting, is is this a? If, uh, oh, the other reason you're going to lose um, just structurally is you're asking voters to limit their own authority, right? It's just an easy, um, you know. There's there's the the other side gets the hey they're taking away your rights um, um, uh, card to play. Uh, again, that's that's hard to overcome, especially if it's a yes no. Um, all you got to do to win the no is just generate enough doubt of, you know, would you like, you know, things to there, there's a, a scene on the office of, you know, would you like, uh, uh, Michael Scott asked, would you like your, your life to be much better, uh, immediately better or worse or remain the same, like remain the same. And I think there's, there's something to that in, in voting is, is, you know, you're like, well, all right, well, let's. Things are going okay uh, so far. I would, you know, let's not make any radical changes. And that that's actually a, you know, obviously a conservative type type impulse of of let's not go change changing, uh, you know, don't go changing um, uh, the constitution unless you you, you have to. Um, all, all that said, I would agree with I think where you and May were last time the, the Ohio Constitution um, and other constitutions like it, uh, which can be amended by a bare majority. Have uh, in recent years, and that's probably the last twenty years, uh, fallen victim to uh, special interests, uh, you know, sort of rent seeking uh, in the Constitution. We have, you know, a constitutional provision that talks about the size of, of gaming tables. Uh, it it uh, establishes, you know, uh, constitutional franchises for for certain casinos. It, um, uh, you know, there there are a lot of these these pieces that. Um, uh, ought not to be in the Constitution. You can you can argue they could be uh, statutory, something like that, or even ought to, this this is the stuff, the minutia that ought to be taken care of by the regulatory state. Um, but uh, but there we are, and that's the the flaw is that in in that is that um, it really doesn't cost you anything more to get something put in the Constitution than it does just to get it enacted as a a uh, statute by initiative. Um, so. So anyway, I, I would have, you know, been I, I was I was for raising the bar, uh, you know, abortion notwithstanding um, for years. Uh, 
So then my last other point, the other reason I think you uh, people lose on this uh, is it's it's sort of a complicated issue a little bit, right? Um, you, you've got to, it, it takes a couple sentences to explain what it is you, you want, if you're on the yes side, what it is you want to do and why you want to do it. I see. Uh, Cause, and cause, then at yeah. the, at the, you know, it's, it's what we want to raise the, the limit. Well, why? Well, cause it's special interest. And then you get, you, you, you know, buried in that is of course the hypocrisy of, well, no, what's really about abortion. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my reason of like, there were, there were about a dozen reasons. Um, why this was going to fail. But but but, um, it, but it seems to me that on the on the abortion policy issue that that certainly maybe gets to your your point about uh Republicans uh not really being able to and maybe fairly so not being able to see five moves ahead. They clearly have not and I agree with the Wall Street Journal's editorial board here, they clearly have not been able to figure out a popular strategy for dealing with the energy and engagement of moderate voters who might otherwise be, you know, go vote Republican saying, no, on this particular issue, we uh, that it seems to me that the activists in the Republican Party are far more extreme than the median voter is. And that that has the potential to really hurt voters, not just in uh, not just in you know, kind of purple states, but I mean, you know, Kentucky voters by a majority of protected abortion rights, Montana voters, Kansas voters. And so these are solid Trump states. And and I think that uh, the Republican Party has to find a way to somehow create some distance. I don't think the idea that, well, we just don't have a good enough argument. I mean, I, I think people's views on abortion are pretty settled. They just need to find a way to kind of do some kind of a carve out or something, because this is an electoral loser for Republicans. It seems very clear. To me. It, it is as it's currently situated. So, so here's my, the next part of my, my analysis is the question, is this a fight you had to have? Is this a, a battle you had to fight, but lose? And I think it probably was um, for, for those very reasons. If you're an Ohio Republican, um, one, you have to be able to say, Hey, hey we gave it a try. Um, secondly, you, you uh, lay the, the groundwork, or the uh, no vote on the next issue um, by means of, you know, the, the uh, pro, the, the anti-issue one folks uh, ran a campaign mainly on um, this is, uh, uh, you know, gutting the Ohio constitution and, you know, removing your constitutional rights and, and the bizarre claim of this one person, one vote, which to me is still sort of nonsensical. Um, but uh because one person, one vote, it wouldn't change. You would just just need more of those people or more of those votes. Um, but notwithstanding the bad math, um, there, I think when when this issue comes up in November, um, there may be a good number of people who are either on the fence or no voters. Uh, when this is about abortion, we're like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> that, how, what's, that's what this was, was trying to do. Um, and I think the message that, that Republicans can have, right? And this is, this is, I think, an, an important thing in what's happened in the post-Dobbs world is it's, it's a whole lot easier to play defense than to play offense. And, and I think a lot, in a lot of cases, Republicans overplayed their hand on offense um, on this issue. So they didn't, they didn't get to. So, um, you know, for years while, while uh, Roe, Casey, et cetera, were, were all in place, um, Republicans had sort of a free hand in that they could enact whatever abortion policy they wanted to if they had the majority, 
sort of safely knowing right. that it's never actually going to come into yeah, now, fruition because the Oh, crap, it's law out. now. <laughs> we didn't expect yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And now all of a sudden, you know, for example, so we had Ohio had this uh, heartbeat bill, uh, which, which would effectively um, uh, ban abortion after about six weeks or so. Um, which is which is on the the far side, you know. When you, by comparison, the Mississippi case in Dobbs was, uh, I want to say, twenty weeks, fifteen weeks, something like that. But um, but I mean, but but your larger point, right, being that this was in the past, you've talked about what you call free votes, and if you know exactly, something yeah. is not going to actually go into effect, then you can be freer to just kind of say or do whatever. And now all of a sudden, all of those Ohio Republicans who said yes, let's pass this super restrictive thing to placate the people on our far right where all the energy is. Uh, now it's law or would be law if, you know, had, there hadn't been a court ruling now all of a sudden, well, that complicates things a whole lot. Exactly. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, so yeah, it, it's more difficult to, to put, because I think the, the place where and the, the polls show this consistently, right? The place where most Americans are on abortion is they don't like it, uh, but they don't want an absolute ban. Safe, rare, right? but legal. And yeah, I mean. <laughs> exactly. So I think, and I think a lot of cases, if, if you had something that, that would say, um, uh, and this is what we, maybe this is just my nostalgia, but, you know, what we did in the 90s, uh, where we came out with uh, one of the first partial birth abortion bans um, in uh, in the country. Um, we're there. I think there was there was an easy political case to make. Say, listen, this is, this is you know, barbaric uh, uh these these late term uh, uh abortions um and it's in most cases unnecessary and then when it is medically necessary it can be medically necessary and you can write those those protections into the statute um devil's in the details and the drafting on that right but um you can you know it's it's a it's a drafting problem right it's it's not a a philosophical problem um and yeah, because that's that's my sense is where where most Americans would be that they would say, well, six weeks uh, sure sounds too too uh, too early. Um, you but know, eight months. and a half months is too late unless there's a reason. Sure, yeah, exactly. yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, I yeah. yeah. So, and and you know, for this kind of decision, regardless of where you are are on the the issue, right? Um, from a agnostic process uh, standpoint, that's the way it ought to be hammered out. Right. Um, you know, you're going to have people on either side who, who don't love the outcome, uh, but you'll probably have something that most people can live with. Um, and I, I, I've said before, I think that's where we eventually end up. It's just going to be a couple back and forths. And in the recent couple of times, it's been the Republicans who are on offense trying to charge up the hill. And that's that's tougher. Um, now, when we turn this into November, uh, Republicans will be playing defense, and I think there's going to be uh, some good defensive points to be making, right? See, I, I disagree with you. I, I agree with okay. you up to there, but I think you're you're entirely wrong on that because I see it actually as an argument about uh, what we're, where Republicans are still on offense because what they're arguing for is should this thing that changes the regime we've been under – that puts significant restrictions on women's reproductive or abortion rights, should this change go into effect? Because it actually does change the status quo. And so even and that's that that means you're arguing for a change that restricts rights. And given what we've seen in Kentucky, Montana, Vermont, Kansas, every place, literally every place it's been put up to a citizen vote, it's it's 
voters have rejected that restriction of rights, I don't see that there's much of a chance of it happening in Ohio either. Yeah, but I would say it, I would say it, it, it uh, at least as far as in the Ohio version goes, when it comes down to what what box are you checking, um, it's going to be no. And if, if I'm a, a um, pro-life Republican um, or just a, a pro-life person generally, and I'm, I'm running, uh, you know, working on this this issue, I think the message is, listen, they're telling, you know, the other side is telling you that this is about uh, just codifying Roe versus Wade. Right. This is just about um, uh, expanding the time beyond six weeks. Uh, but what it's really about is is taking steps that are far far beyond anything that was was in place um, under the the, the judicial uh, regime, if you will. Right. You see, already um, though, you're getting into an argument that you can't fit into a soundbite, which is why I think. Oh, I can't. For, oh, for I other can't. reasons, say your side is going to lose on this, and I think you know rightly. So your side, I mean, just I'm just not trying. Side. No, this is I'm this not- is um, this is an extremist campaign by by out of state uh, big money. Um, uh, left wing folks who want to turn your kids into drag queens. Well, sure, that's going to preach to the choir, but but uh, but but the moderates, I think, you know, the same sort of arguments were tried, like I said, in Kansas and Kentucky and Montana and other states. Those arguments failed for good reason, and they're going to fail in Ohio. This uh, this amendment's going to pass with at least five percent. In those states, were they playing uh, defense or offense? Were they on the no side or the yes side? I couldn't tell you off. I couldn't tell you offhand. Yeah, but I, I think most of those were were again Republicans having to to either, um, you know, promote either legislation or or uh, um, uh, get well, get something well, enacted. Right? We'll see. Something we'll new, we'll see in November, but defensive. we'll see in yeah. November. But you're, I I feel very confident that you're wrong on this one. But we'll we'll see in November. Right. So and I, I, we've talked about this a lot. But I I am a big one in 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 this case. I do trust a lot to just the structural. Um, Parts of this, right? That I think defending the no side is is a lot easier, um, and uh, I think when you're in a a bigger turnout election, uh, it's going to change things a little bit. And um, this is this is here's here's my soundbite: is Do you want universal abortion in Ohio? Yes or no? Yeah, except that's that's how that's not how it's going to be framed to plenty of people. Like I said, I I understand that in your world this is right, a compelling that's, argument. That's the but actual, just, I would I would argue that's the actual import of of what the amendment. No, would not be. at all. No, <laughs> it's not. Well, we'll, what, we'll, what restrictions? What restrictions would would be in it? Well, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about the specific right. amendment without without pulling it up yeah. in front. So I'm not going to yeah. I'm not going to do yeah. that. But we certainly will be talking about that. And any I, I believe there might be a few other amendments or uh, legislative initiatives on uh, on the November ballot in other states. And we'll definitely talk about those in detail uh, before the November right. election. That's it's, yeah, I agree. It's not fair for me to ask you to, to pull the thing up right away. But yeah. My sense is the argument will be this will be do you want yeah any restrictions yes or no gotcha and 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 i'm I'm sure some people I'm sure you're right that some people will frame it that way and uh i I believe do you want to have a say about whether your your teen daughter gets an abortion Mike yeah well, again this, to, now now we're getting into up. what the legislation what the proposed amendment says, and I'm not going to go there, Jay, because I don't have it in front of me. I don't have had a chance to study it, so you you keep on trying to pull me in. It's not going to happen. I'm giving you a sound bite. We somehow have managed to go uh a week now without a new Donald Trump indictment. I'm not sure how that's happened, but um, 
It has, but fear not. I think next week. Was, uh, can I can I just interject? There's a a wonderful uh, Babylon B piece that says uh, Donald Trump indicted for mocking uh, U.S. national women's soccer team. Um, but yeah, I know you love the B. Uh, well, but there should be an indictment. I think at least it looks like there's going to be an indictment probably next week, the week after. Uh, folks might recall that uh, down in Georgia, Fulton County, uh, DA uh, Fannie Willis is uh, reportedly at least planning to ask uh, for indictments uh, on various charges related to Trump's actions regarding the 2020 election in that state. But that is for next week or possibly the week after. But we do have some developments in the current Donald Trump indictments. Like, for instance, just yesterday, uh, Judge Tanya Chutkin rejected uh, the prosecution's request for a, essentially a blanket protective order that would have really severely restricted the information about the case that Trump and his legal team could share with those not directly involved in the case. But it's, it's sort of a limited victory, if you will, because she agreed to place sensitive materials under a protective order and uh, essentially giving the prosecution a, a good amount of leeway in defining what is and isn't sensitive. Um, and while it's less than Smith wanted, I'd say that the judge made it clear that Trump simply can't spout off. I mean, at one point she told his attorneys, I caution you and your client to take special care in your public statements about this case. I'll take whatever measures are necessary to safeguard the integrity of these proceedings. And also she uh, warned Trump's lawyers that she expected the defense to happen in the courtroom, not in the media. She said that if Donald Trump is to look at any of these discovery materials, he can't take his cell phone in there. Uh, he can take notes, but his attorneys have to check the notes to ensure that there's nothing uh, that's sensitive that's in the notes. And he certainly can't just take any papers away with him. So there are a lot of restrictions there. Uh, well, let's start with that. What do you think about the judge's decision on the protective order? So, you know, as, as a matter of course, protective orders are pretty run of the mill in in courts and federal court stuff. Um, what is not run of the mill is that when the one of the subjects is uh, a former president and current presidential candidate. Um, and that's where I think the, the problem lies is is I think the judge is correct. If if this was a normal um, defendant. Um, meaning sort of most anybody other than Donald Trump, um, I think this would make perfect sense. Um, since it is Donald Trump, I, this, there's just inherently problems with it. And I'm not, I'm not sure how you get around them, right? Um, just because you want to say, well, listen, uh, we don't want this process to be political. Well, when you're, you're essentially trying to imprison the former president and current presidential candidate, there's, there's no way it's not political. Um, uh, you, you, he's not just any other defendant. Um, when you want to say, uh, we, you know, we don't want you making statements to the media. Well, it's, it's one thing if that's just your run of the mill, um, embezzler or, or drug dealer or something like that. It's another thing when, uh, Hey, I'm running for president. Um, and, and, you know, not just, not just, I've, you know, put my name in and I'm running for president. And this is my sort of legal defense, but I'm the front runner in, in the, the primary of a, major party um so i think all those those issues are are problematic and we'll we'll see what happens uh if let me ask you, you know, would, would Trump, you agree Trump is not the kind of guy who would who would simply say no i'm not going to i'm, I'm going to stop saying stuff 
Well, well, would you agree it makes it even more challenging given Donald Trump's history of making public statements that certainly feel arguably like witness intimidation, right? I, I mean, that that in a sense, Donald Trump's own actions, as in so many other instances, make life harder for himself, right? Because when you have, you know, all caps, uh, if you come after me, I'm coming after you. Well, I mean, that was part of Smith's request for that. That true social post was literally he cut and paste a picture of it and put it in the request for the protective order saying, listen, this is the guy we're dealing with. And I think that's a fair statement because it's certainly not much of a stretch to, to uh, see Donald Trump saying, hey, this person is going to test or testify against me. Just wanted to let you know this person is an awful human being. It's a subhuman animal who's going to hell. And, you know, here Trump's, I mean, <laughs> if I'm a potential witness, that's that definitely has a chilling effect, given what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think you can you can start you can draw lines between um, speech and conduct that that crosses the line into potential witness tampering versus um uh statements of this is all a big political witch hunt uh vote for me right right yeah um that's a more general statement i mean you can you can you can you can agree or disagree uh on on the merits of that statement but i I think that's a perfectly legitimate statement and and an important statement for someone to be able to to make right yeah absolutely um uh, so so yeah i think that's going to be you know where the the rubber hits the road and i think what's what's going to happen is there will be sort of a, a line testing, right? Trump will start saying stuff, saying stuff, and see how far he can get until the prosecution yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, calls him on it. And then we get a call back in front of the judge. And, you know, I think that's the way it'll play out. Yeah, that makes I, – I totally agree with you there. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask kind of more further out stuff, like uh, Donald Trump. But, but I mean, here's here's the thing. I mean, it's I, I think it's when you get into the, the things of saying this witness is is a horrible human being and an absolute liar. Um, well, uh, it's one thing, you know, again, to, to make those statements in the press in a typical, uh, case, I think the court can say, no, you know, this is, um, you shouldn't be tried in the media. This should be tried in the, the, uh, you know, uh, in, in the court. Um, but again, it's, it's quite another thing if, if you are a political candidate and someone is making, uh, uh, statements against you because you know you now i suppose i suppose if you're smart if you're if you're trump um your your response is uh i believe this is all nonsense and i will be vindicated in court um but that's just not his his way of, of doing it and and it's you know I, i'm not sure that that his uh his supporters want to hear that they want to hear this is you know terrible horrible person and, and even, even so like if you if you're like a trump translator right and and uh you know you typed in the um you know president trump here's what we think you ought to say say listen uh you know the, this witness's statements were entirely false and i look forward to be vindicating vindicated in court um you, you run it through the trump translator it comes out this is a terrible horrible, horrible person uh many people are saying this um <laughs> that's it, it it you know it's that's just his his vernacular um so well, you know, I mean, other- and, and look, I, I think it's I think it's yeah, when you're someone in the public eye, public sphere uh, running for, for office, the most important office, um, you would argue that there's there's some ought to be some uh, 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 ability to to fight back politically. Um, 
I'm, yeah. I'm thinking. But, I'm thinking back to like the Nixon Nixon checkers speech, right? That dope. That, that um, yeah. The idea comparing. <laughs> I I I know I I can't say I've committed the memory big swaths of that speech, but I'm very familiar with that speech and comparing what Nixon did for for those for the for the younger members of our audience. Almost uh, everyone Nixon, younger than us, yeah. Yeah, um, had been. This was when he was vice president to to Eisenhower. Uh, had been accused of, of corruption in various various forms. Uh, of accepting gifts and so forth, and one of this was this this dog puppy checkers, um, and uh, he sort of you know went on the air and gave this impassioned speech about you know uh, what a great dog checkers was, <laughs> and, um, and you know this this was sort of ridiculous and so forth. And and but what I'm saying what I'm saying is that's an example of a politician who is responding publicly to public uh, accusations of of wrongdoing. Um, and and yeah, whether whether you think it's you know whether you agree or not on the merits, I think it's it's a legitimate response. You mean like a, a checker sort of thing, as opposed to a, a Donald Trump it's, knowingly? It's a, no, I think it's I think it's a legitimate a legitimate move. I, what I'm saying is is I I, I guess I I'm trying to I'm that, trying to understand. I don't think a political. I I, I I don't understand what you're saying here. I guess I I understand you're saying that presidential candidates and really anyone has a right as a first amendment right to make various claims including you know claims that they may even know to be absolutely un- false claims uh, yeah yeah like for instance i mean donald trump uh this last week said you know there's no way i can get a fair trial with the judge in quotes assigned to this case right with clearly implying that you know this was a fixed process and that hey he has the right to do that to me, the issue, that's not the issue. Now, maybe he wants to make it the issue, but the issue is doing things that would, would qualify as witness intimidation. Right. No, no, I think that's that's what I'm saying is I, I agree with you on that. And it's just a question of where that line gets drawn. Sure. And uh, I agree with you that Donald I, Trump I, will I, test that line. And I would not be surprised if he starts naming names or names one or two and uh, is called back in the court, and there are actions that are maybe taken. You know, one no, my, of- my my point my point was I think it's 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 bad for democracy to say um, to have a court limit a politician's uh, ability to respond to criticism. Right. Yeah, but but is that what's happening here? I don't think it is. Not yet. No, not not yet. I'm just saying that's those those are my two concerns. Those are two the two. Competing values, right? One, the integrity of the judicial process. Two, uh, the the ability for politicians to to speak their mind in the campaign. Okay, because because it's I mean even Donald Trump's attorneys in in their response to Smith's request for a blanket protective order agreed that sealed grand jury testimony, uh, sealed yeah, search well, warrants, that's, that's, yeah, and that kind of stuff. stuff's obviously off limits, and it always has been. But that doesn't matter, I don't think, to Donald Trump. If Donald Trump knows a name, I can I can totally see him just blasting it out on Truth Social. Uh, that that is, you know, and and that's. But, but you wouldn't need a you wouldn't need a new protective order for grand jury testimony. Right, I see what you're saying because that's already that's that's protected. already covered by statute. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. And so let's let, let me let me ask you this. Uh, let's say, and I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that Donald Trump gets access some way through to names of people who are witnesses, uh, whether it was grand jury testimony or sealed warrants or what have you. And he puts those names out on true social saying, you know, uh, 
Bob Smith is a horrible person. He's going to testify. Bob Smith, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to get you. What exactly? What is the the recourse there? What what can what can Jack Smith, the prosecutor, do or ask to be done in that case? In that instance, I think he could. I think in that case, he could go go to the court and ask for an injunction to enforce the protective order, um, and and seek whatever remedies are available. And I and I'll I'll confess again because I don't I'm not a criminal law expert. Uh, Whatever remedies would be available. in cases of, of witness intimidation or, or witness tampering. Well, I, I, I hope it doesn't come to that, but it would not surprise me if it does uh, come to that for sure, given, uh, given what we know about. about I, no, and I guess that this is, this is where I think we're not disagreeing, but I think there's, there's a line between uh, X person is a horrible person. He's a liar. Uh, he's going to testify against me. Go get him versus these guys are all a bunch of crooks who are out to get me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is tough to know when it's exactly witness intimidation, right? But the problem is, if you have a bunch of fanatical followers who are, you know, who who take messages and hear them as sort of dog whistles and say, "Oh my God," you know, I mean, like with the Mike Pence thing, right? Donald Trump says stuff about Mike doesn't have the courage to do this, and next thing you know, there are you know fake scaffolds and oh, hang Mike. You mean Pence. hang Mike? You mean yeah. why not? You mean we should hang him? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, when does that? How do you factor in the sort of extremism and craziness of a certain number of supporters? And when making those statements, does Donald Trump know that? And I, I, there's a lot going on here, basically, and it's, it's, it's difficult. So while I am sympathetic to free speech claims for sure, and I think when you err, you need to err on the side of that. I also think that Donald Trump, as always, presents a unique and difficult set of problems uh, in this regard. So, in, indeed, he does. <laughs> All right, let's move on to something different. Um, late this week, President Biden requested that Congress approve a forty billion dollar funding package that would include an additional twenty point six billion in funding for Ukraine, thirteen billion or so of that would be in the form of uh, additional military funding. They're also asking for another $12 billion to uh, resupply U.S. federal disaster coffers and more funding for enforcement at the southern border. And, and focusing on the Ukraine funding, to give you a sense, to date, the U.S. has provided Ukraine with over $60 billion in aid. More than $40 billion of that was uh, military funding. And I think tying the Ukraine money to things like domestic disaster aid, border enforcement, that's almost certainly designed to attract a certain amount of bipartisan support. And I think that's important because public support for military aid to Ukraine has been softening. Uh, Ukrainian forces somewhat bogged down in that counteroffensive they've been doing for a while. And I think it remains to be seen if the administration can even get the necessary votes, especially in the House. The Senate, I think, is less of a concern to sustain uh, what, what are Ukraine's efforts to kind of push back the Russian invasion. And I mention that because, for instance, Kevin McCarthy has previously said he's not going to support additional supplemental funding for Ukraine and that any money for Ukraine will have to go through the regular appropriations process. And that definitely puts McCarthy at odds with Senate leadership on both sides of the aisle. I mean, both Schumer and McConnell have said that the bipartisan, that bipartisan debt ceiling deal won't prohibit Congress from considering supplemental funding for Ukraine. Uh, and 
So I, I don't know where this is going, but I certainly for a while have been concerned about particularly the House uh, abandoning Ukraine and just saying no more. Uh, what do you think, Jay? Do you think this is the beginning of the end for U.S. military support for Ukraine? No. No, I don't think. I think I think uh I think House Republicans will make some noises about this, will grouse about it a little bit. Um, but I think uh I think it goes through. Um I mean, I do you see I, mean, I guess what I'm wondering is I I expect the Freedom Caucus, which is which is a sizable caucus, I think something like I want to say a quarter, something like that, of of Republicans in the House, that I can't imagine that they won't push for a standalone vote on Ukraine funding. And Given, like I said, the polling data, to give folks a sense, uh, uh, CNN did a poll uh, that came out just in early August, just a week ago or so, that uh, 55% of respondents said Congress shouldn't author, shouldn't authorize more funding to Ukraine. And when you break that down on partisan lines, 71% of Republicans said there shouldn't be any new funding. If I'm a Republican member of Congress and I look at those numbers, especially in the context of an administration request, a Democratic administration request, that I feel puts me on some pretty solid, uh, pretty solid electoral ground, even if I'm not a Freedom Caucus Republican. And so that's why I, I wonder if maybe this isn't the beginning of the end. So that that's why that kind of is what kind of is the background of my thinking on this. Um, I, I think that um, McCarthy is smart enough and talented enough to to get the votes or or to see that there are enough votes um uh to to get this through again there there doesn't have to be um uh you know you you can you only have to have a couple pe- couple people take a walk um uh you know a couple people across the aisle and and it gets there um and i think look i as i've said like a million times before, I think there's a great case on the merits to be made. Um, uh, my, you know, criticism, uh, one of the things that I have been pleasantly surprised by the Biden administration was that we've stood by Ukraine. My criticism on Ukraine policy is that we haven't done enough. So, um, but that's, as, as you know, that's me, the old cold warrior talking, um, uh, yeah, and, I, I and wanted to ask you about that's, that. Maybe that's a lot out of touch with with current reality, but I, I don't I don't think it is. And I think uh, I think there are a lot of of folks who will uh, you know can be made to see the the ge- geostrategic wisdom of uh, uh, of this. Well, that, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you about because I I think I certainly agree with you. And and back when both you and I were Republicans, uh, that the idea that uh, a sizable, uh, a, a, a right, over seventy percent uh, of people in our party would say, "No, I'm against additional funding to push back Russian forces who've invaded another country." That that would just yeah, be damn pinko hippie. Yeah, that would be <laughs> inconceivable. Yeah, exactly. Right, <laughs> and yet, and this is, I guess, this is the question I have for you: How did your party get to a point where? Like I said, in this poll, and this isn't like some kind of outlier, 71 percent of Republicans said, nope, no new funding for Ukraine. Fifty nine percent said the U.S. has done enough to help Ukraine. And it's just the reverse, practically, for Democrats. I, what what's going on here with with your your GOP on this issue? I think I think some of it has has become such a partisan thing of it's. 
it's better to to uh, see Biden take a loss and let Putin have a win. Wow. Uh, right. That's scary. Um, <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it is. It isn't. It isn't. I mean, there's there's the, the thought is, um, yeah, you know, look, this is this is Biden's war. This is and I, and I think again, I, I think this is misguided. Uh, but um, if you're asking me to try to get in the heads. Yeah, of, of exactly. Folks. Now, look, I think there is there is always a legitimate argument to be made to say, should we have more oversight? Is the money being spent correctly? You know, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, I think those are arguments that you always ought to have, the whole, like, no blank check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think when you look at the, the reality of this, right, of, of when you're in, in any war, um, uh, in, in the Cold War, there's, there's always uh, going to be waste, loss, uh, and abuse. Right. Um, uh, there are always going to be allies uh, who may be a little unsavory. Um, you know, where it was, you know, was, was F.W. de Klerk a great guy? No. Was was uh, Ferdinand Marcus a great guy? No, hardly. Um, we could go on. The Shah of uh, Iran. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah, there's exactly. a huge list. Absolutely. But, but yeah, that as, as, um, as Lyndon Johnson had said of, uh, uh, DM, I think, uh, um, you know, he may be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch. Um, and, and I think that's, that's where we, we ought to look of, of whatever claims, uh, or arguments you might have about the Ukrainian corruption in the Ukrainian regime, which I think may be well, well legitimate. Um, uh, when we're, when we get down to this geopolitical, um, uh, calculation, uh, it's, it's much more in our interest that the Russians lose, and Putin in particular lose, um, than than it is, um, you know, making sure that things aren't aren't corrupt. And that's again, that's not to say that um, we we simply abandon ourselves to to corruption or, or something like that, or say no, no oversight necessary ever. But um, I am. You know, I'm kind of like, where's Henry Kissinger when you need him? Um, well, that, that, <laughs> gets into, that, that obviously could get us into a whole other uh, debate. Back when back when things were a little bit reversed, certainly a, a lot of folks on the left would say that whole attitude of, well, uh, he may be a son of a bitch, but, but he's our son of a bitch right. kind of right. caused, ben, ended yeah, up ben, causing yeah, a lot more. we got to cut ties to South Africa and uh, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a whole other argument. But, I, you know, I certainly would love to see. This is obviously an area where, where I agree much more with the Mitch McConnells and the, the Kevin McCarthy's and certainly the America first. And this is I mean, this is, I should point out, kind of an historical. Uh, yeah, it's it's a weird trend. That, yeah, it, it's it's nothing even new. It, it's ebbs and flows throughout the past 250 years. Yeah, I mean, and you take a look historically, right, the Republican Party uh, reluctant to get into World War II, you know, and, and uh, the, the Republican Party, I think, is historically been much more isolationist. I mean, there's a reason why kind of America first nativism sort of fits in with that. But there was this big gap during the Cold War because the anti-Soviet sort of thing overrode a lot of that. But with that kind of gone, uh, I would argue with it just basically back in a different guise when we're talking about China and Russia. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that the mainstream or that so many Republican voters have been, I feel, just disastrously misled by these isolationist America firster folks who have taken over control of the party, at least temporarily. Yeah. Well, I think, I think part of it, you know, if you look back um, after Pearl Harbor, 
and then the, the beginnings of the Cold War, um, there was a, a realization that uh, you you couldn't simply not be part of the world, right? And I think I think that was one of you know to, to me it's one of the the big historical lessons that you know uh, you always learn is is Munich, right? Um, uh, you you can't um, uh, appease uh, certain people if you give them an inch they will take uh, miles and and most of a continent. Um, and that was sort of the the thinking, right? That was the thinking behind containment. Um, that look, maybe we can't, maybe we can't beat them or roll them back, but at least we can hold a, hold the line where it is. Um, and and I I think that's that's still correct. I think that same rationale applies to Putin as it did to Soviet communism. Look, there's there's ideological differences uh, built into it, uh, but. Um, but I think a much more yeah, compelling I, I argument in today's Republican Party, at least, is, you know what, that's Europe's problem. Let, their, let them take care of their own business. We're doing just fine. And, of course, you and I both agree that that's just disastrously short-sighted. But there you go. Let's hope that this that kind of fever passes from the Republican Party at, at some point in the very near-term future. We can agree on that. All right. Well, before we go today, I don't know if I did this last time, but if I didn't, uh, sorry about that. I, I wanted to thank Kyle, who's a longtime supporter. Kyle recently increased his support for the show. We really do appreciate that. Um, and one of the things, of course, you get if you, you can get if you increase your support. Uh, later on today, Jay and I, joined by Trey, are going to be recording a listener participation episode, which is open for our Patreon supporters at the $10 and above per month level where you get to be part of the conversation, ask your questions, comments. It's kind of a, a fun thing. Jay, you and I have done a few of those and we're doing like, one yeah. today a little later on. Yell at me in real time. There right? you yeah. go. Exactly. Shut up, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're doing this one at, uh, recording it at noon Eastern time. So that way West coast listeners don't have to get up at some ungodly hour, that sort of thing. So we're trying that out. But anyway, there's a lot of cool stuff at different levels of support and we really do appreciate it. And uh, there's our Discord group, which is always a lot of fun, very interesting. I, I certainly enjoy it. To find out about any of that stuff, you can go to patreon.com slash politicsguys. You can also support us on Venmo at politicsguys. And you can support the show through PayPal. You can find all that uh, in the show notes as well as at politicsguys.com slash support. And one of the bonuses, of course, you get if you're a supporter is ad-free versions of everything we put out and the full midweek show, not just the preview shorter version. But we know that some folks would like to get that full midweek show. You're not in a position financially to support the show. That's totally not a problem. I'm happy to get that show to you. Just send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will get that set up for you. And whether you're a supporter or not, it definitely helps us a lot if you can get the word out through social media or other means by sharing the, a show, subscribing, rating, review us, and whatever podcast app you use. We really appreciate it if you can take a second to do that. And finally, as always, a very special thanks goes out to our wonderful executive producers of the show, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, Don Oglesby, and Ivan English. We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. We hope you'll join us.